0: You are listening to Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates on WERU Radio. I am Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Azur Ivich and Felix Haganamina. Azur lives in Bosnia and works on human rights issues. Felix grew up in Rwanda and now practices immigration law in Portland, Maine. Both countries experienced genocide. Rwanda from April 7th to July 15th, 1994, and Bosnia in July, 1995 in the city of Srebrenica, but also with uh, violence elsewhere in the country. We will be discussing what happens after genocide ends. Some of our discussion will describe the awful violence and death in both countries from genocide. Azur, could you uh, describe how Bosnia came to be an independent country uh, apart from Yugoslavia?
1: Well, thank you, Steve, for giving me an opportunity to speak about this important Topic. As you might know, Bosnia Herzegovina was part of the former Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia from 1945 until 1992. Uh, It was one of its six constituent parts. After the death of uh, longtime President Tito in 1980, uh, the country started facing political and economic difficulties. All that led to the uh, breakup of the country, whereby all the republics of the country of the former Yugoslavia declared independence, uh, and Bosnia became independent in uh, April 1992, following uh, an internationally recognized referendum that took place in March. However, the idea of Bosnia as a state independent from its neighbors was not accepted by the Bosnian Serb leadership, Uh, and in that uh, way, they were also supported by the Republic of Serbia, which had at the time already uh, become an independent state, state itself. Uh, that led to the war in
0: Bosnia-Herzegovina, which lasted for three years. And If, and this- if I may just uh, jump in for a minute. Uh, so, uh, Bosnia, Serbia and Bosnian Serbs uh, belong for the most part to the Serbian Orthodox Church. Uh, uh, and in uh, the other two groups uh, are Muslims. That is Azur's heritage. And, uh, and then the third are Croats, uh, people who had connections at some point to Croatia, who are uh, Catholic. So there was um, significant differences and, um, I believe, conflict relating. Religion at some points. That is correct.
1: Bosniaks are predominantly Muslim, Serbs are predominantly Orthodox, whereas Croats are predominantly Catholics. Uh, So the war ended in 1995 with the Dayton Peace Agreement signed in November 1995. However, throughout the war there were atrocities committed, and the most significant one was the most significant event was the genocide that took place in Srebrenica in the 11 days of July.
0: And, 1995. and how, how big a city or town was Srebrenica? Well, it was not a big town.
1: I believe it had around, before the war, according to the census, I think it had around 40,000 people inhabitants, if I'm not wrong, but all of that changed during the war because uh, according to the UN resolutions, uh, Srebrenica was a safe haven and was supposed to be uh, under the protection of the UN. So many people from neighboring towns also fled to Srebrenica hoping that the UN troops would protect them. Unfortunately, it did not happen. And when the Bosnian Serb forces took the town
0: in July, 1995. And can I just ask a a question? Um, Were Serbian forces involved at all in this?
1: Serbia proper armed forces, the Republic of Serbia armed forces were not involved, but Serbia as a state provided all the logistic uh, and weapons to the Bosnian Serbs, which had been going on throughout the war. Okay. Uh, the result of the Bosnia-Serb uh, occupation of Srebrenica was the death of 8,000 men and boys in a period of around 11 days. Uh,
0: and would, of, would you describe this as uh, the deaths Uh, were mostly by uh, um, bullets to the head, these were executions? Exactly, those were executions after the
1: Bosnian Serb forces uh, uh, occupied the town and after they rounded up men and boys. Thereafter they were executed for several days Uh, and were thrown into mass graves. Uh, This act of genocide was adjudicated by the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, which sentenced several Bosnian Serb political and military leaders, I'd rather say dozens, for uh, crimes against humanity and acts of genocide. Also, Bosnia and Herzegovina uh, sued the Republic of Serbia for its role in the genocide. And the ruling of the ICJ was that uh, genocide took place in Srebrenica and that the Republic of Serbia was responsible for failing to prevent the genocide, although it was in a position to do so.
0: And Azur, in addition to uh, the uh, execution of uh, Eight thousand plus uh, men and boys. Uh, there were significant number of women and girls who were uh, raped by uh, Bosnians,
1: Bosnian Serbs. Is that accurate? Yes, that is correct. It took place not only in Srebrenica but in the rest of the I.H. It was deemed as a manner in which Bosnian-Serb war aims were to be uh, implemented. Uh, Mass rapes took place both in Srebrenica and that part of Bosnia, Eastern Bosnia, however, also in Western Bosnia and Central Bosnia. So rape, mass rape was part of the whole genocidal project.
0: Can you tell me where uh, where you uh, have lived in uh, Bosnia, and to what extent it was uh, uh, that did the war reach into um, to Tuzla?
1: Well, I come from Tuzla, which is the third biggest town in Bosnia and Herzegovina, and throughout the war. Tuzla served as uh, a place of uh, safety for refugees from this part of Bosnia, from northeastern Bosnia. Tuzla itself was heavily shelled by the uh, Bosnian Serb forces, but, was never, but never fell to their hands. However, it was Tuzla that was the first town to see the results of the genocide in Srebrenica. After the refugees starting arriving in Tuzla, and telling their stories. So,
0: so I'm interested when. Well, let me just back up for a second. Um, I, I I understand now that Tuzla is perhaps uh, a one of the few places where there is significant interaction in a positive way between. Uh, Bosnian, Serbs, and Muslims. That is correct. Tuzla is a symbol
1: of multicultural life in Bosnia and Herzegovina. It has been so before the war, and it is so now. And Tuzla, as you might know, received several international awards for its approach to multiculturalism, integration, and uh, peaceful coexistence.
0: So when you first yourself started hearing about what happened in Srebrenica, did you believe it? Well, when we first started hearing stories
1: about Srebrenica and from the people who were arriving from Srebrenica, we knew there were mass uh, war crimes taking place. But we were not aware and we would not believe the extent of those crimes until afterwards. It is simply impossible to accept the fact that 8,000 people were killed in 10 days or so in the middle of Europe with the UN troops just standing by. So, the information we received seemed, to some of us, exaggerated, but unfortunately they
0: were not. We were in disbelief. And so how long after did you, did you really uh, realize that this had happened the way that refugees were telling us? Is, is it uh, over a year? Um,
1: well, I think we realized that this was... Uh, serious, very serious uh, human rights crime Uh, when we saw the satellite pictures of the US army which showed mass graves in and around Srebrenica. I think that at that point it started being clear to us uh, what the extent of the uh, killings
0: was. And did you have any Family or acquaintances who from Srebrenica? Uh,
1: for, fortunately, none of my friends or acquaintances from Srebrenica were killed, but their families, uh, family members, uh, have been killed during the
0: genocide. I'm sorry for their for their loss and the loss of everybody. Um, you are listening to Change Agents. Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates on WERU Radio. I'm Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Azur Imjurevich and uh, Felix Hagen-Amina. Uh, Azur lives in Bosnia and works on human rights issues. Uh, Felix grew up in Rwanda and is now a lawyer in Portland, representing immigrants. Both countries experienced genocide, Rwanda from April 7th to July 15th, 1994, and Bosnia in July 1995 in the city of Srebrenica, We will be discussing what happens after genocide. Some of our discussion will describe the awful violence and deaths that took place in both countries from genocide. Felix, can you give a, uh, unfortunately only a short history of of Rwanda, sort of taking us up to uh, the the genocide?
2: Uh, sure. Uh, thank you so much, Steve, again for having me. Uh, I'm so glad to to be here and and be part of this conversation. Uh, for the listeners who uh, don't know much about Rwanda, it's a, it's a very small country in East Africa. Uh, think about the size of Massachusetts. And throughout Rwanda's history, there had been conflicts between its uh, racial or ethnic groups. At the very beginning, uh, these social groups were I mean, what, what we now call race or ethnicities, they were really social groups. And those were um, Hutus, Tutsis, and Twa. So they were really like social groups um, throughout the history of Rwanda. Uh, A person who, uh, Tutsis were considered to be nobles. Uh, The kings came from Tutsis, um, the chiefs and all that. And uh, Hutus were like, uh, considered like presents, uh, you know, taking care of the fields and all that. But um, a Hutu who became rich and got some cows, they could become a Tutsi. So they were really more like um, social groups. And then when, um, I mean, there there were some biases between the social groups, obviously. And when colonizers came, uh, Rwanda is a Belgian colony. So when when, um, Western, Colonizers came. They um, aggravated these stereotypes, and they um, actually institutionalized what were like social groups. They became more like ethnicities. People were uh, would get uh, ID cards with their race. Um, opportunities in life began to be distributed based on on race and that kind of thing. So. Now at this time, although Tutsis had been ruling Rwanda for much of its uh, early history, they were the minority. And so Hutus were the majority. And when Western uh, colonizers came, as it is in Western countries, the majority rose. So they gave power to the Hutus. Uh, but what happened uh, shortly after Rwanda's independence the Hutus who now had power, they began to threaten Tutsis and uh, try to, to kill them. They actually killed them
0: uh, in the so, 60s. Uh, just so I'm clear, that before the genocide, there were um, uh, at least a couple of of instances where a significant number of uh, Tutsis were killed by Hutus. Kah- is that right
2: that is right that is uh, absolutely right uh, in fact my um maternal uh, grandfather was killed solely because of his right uh, his race in um 1959 so people were uh, being killed because of who they were and um so, so this continued go ahead yeah this, this continued and uh, throughout history, so Hutus, who now had power, they would drive forced Tutsis to flee to neighboring countries. And this happened in the 60s, in the 70s. And many Tutsis went to live in Uganda, in uh, Tanzania, um, uh, Congo, what is what was was a year now it's now it's Congo and Burundi. And so much of this time, uh, those Tutsis who had fled to neighboring countries, they were organizing, they were asking to return to their country. And obviously, those who had stayed, they could not get opportunities, uh, such as jobs, uh, certain jobs, they could not be in the military, and that kind of thing. So those who had fled, they were, uh, you know, asking to return. And when negotiations failed, they organized a rebel group which was uh, called the RPF, the Rwanda Patriotic Front, and from Uganda in 1990, they launched a, an attack to basically uh, free Rwanda, and um, because of this attack, uh, obviously Rwanda was at war with um, this, this majority Tutsi uh, rebel group, and those Tutsis who were in Rwanda at the time, 1990, many were Put in jail, accused of being uh, accomplices of this uh, rebel group and all that. So and, yeah. uh, this began.
0: Yes. So I wonder if you can take us um, up to the beginning of the genocide. Yes,
2: uh, and and so this uh, with this war going on uh, from 1990 to 1994, uh, Tutsis were basically considered uh, a menace. To, to the regime, which was Hutu. And um, there were conflicts, obviously, but I think that during this time, it was then the time that, you know, the, the genocide was, um, was probably, there was probably some planning that went into the, the genocide. And then um, the person who was the president of Rwanda in 1994, April 7, 1994, uh his airplane was um shot down when he was actually, i think it was coming from uh, peace uh, negotiations and this uh began at the genocide which lasted 100 and day, 100 days and uh, during which uh, about um, so by some estimates close to 1 million people were uh
1: killed
0: it's a it's a massive number i, I mean i've heard you know 8 800, 800,000 it doesn't it's uh, whether it's both numbers are are just huge and in such a, a short time. And so uh, everybody understands those people killed were Tutsis as well as some number of Hutus who were trying to help or support uh, Tutsis in this awful time. Would that, uh,
2: that act- is correct okay yeah that's that is correct it was mostly tutsis but also moderate uh, uh
0: so in a uh in just a minute i'm uh, going to uh, ask you to describe your experience and your family experience uh, You are a uh, Tutsi, though you're uh, now living in the US. But I want to warn our listeners that uh, for the next several minutes, Felix will be describing those experiences. This will include descriptions of extremely disturbing violence. Some of you may want to turn off your radio. uh, And if you have young children that are listening, you may decide to uh, uh, simply turn the sound down uh, until uh, we move on to another, another topic. Uh, so, how old were you when th- the genocide started?
2: Oh, I was only 12. Uh, I was twelve at the time i was uh, i was very young
0: and uh uh where were you living and who were you living with and then you can talk about just what happened uh
2: yes um so i was living with my uh, my grandmother uh when the, the genocide happened she um had been a widow uh, throughout much of obviously when i was born she was she was widowed and I was living with her and uh, next to her um, obviously my uncles and there had been there had there had been a major campaign uh, to basically make your neighbors um, not consider you as, as a human being and that had included so much propaganda because tutsis were called um inzoka which means uh, race of vipers uh, they were called inyenzi which is uh, cockroaches and because of that, people had uh, really grown to hate uh, Tutsis. And so on this particular morning, I, was, um, I woke up. There were some neighbors who had come to our house, and everyone seemed afraid. And uh, we asked our grandmother what was going on. And she said uh, the, the airplane carrying the president had been shut down, and that they were afraid that uh, Hutus were going to kill us and obviously we we were young, we we couldn't believe something like that but actually later that day um, a very large group of people came to the house, Uh, they were carrying um, all kinds of of weaponry, uh, traditional weaponry and um, my brother and I tried to run and uh, my uncle actually also did run and they chased him this large crowd of people, they they chased him. He was overwhelmed. He um, surrendered. Brought him back home. Went to see what was going to happen, and um, one of the guys um, actually basically cut his head. And um, very scared. Um, and tried and to they run.
0: Uh, they cut his head, so he died. So, well, he died.
2: Yes. Yes, he died. They 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 they, they completely uh, separated his head from the rest of the body. So, um, which was very, very, um, shocking, obviously. And, um, during this time, so we had to run and, and, and go hide in the past, uh, Rwanda was a very religious country and people would run and hide to the churches and no one would go in and, and, and kill. So that's, that's what most people did at this time. And we, um, went to churches and, uh, at this particular church where uh, we lived, it was a small church, and uh, usually 200 people would uh, sit in this church. But at the time of the genocide, it saw about 4,000 people pressed inside its walls. Uh, people could not even uh, be able to lay on the ground. Uh, they took turns of actually sitting down packed in that small uh, hole. So people were there for a uh, two, three days wondering what, what was going to happen. And uh, murderers who had been surrounding this this building came in and they threw in some um, lit mattresses. They threw in some grenade, grenades. And uh, when people were uh, overwhelmed by the smoke and everything else, then people came into the church and they began to to kill people with, uh, with uh,
0: their weapons. So, and those those weapons were mostly machetes and machetes farm tools. and
2: uh clubs yes uh, farm tools that kind of thing. So it was brutal um killings and uh for some we, by some weird reflex I, I fell on the floor and uh I think they fought me for dead and uh was there stuck there um, in a pile of dead people uh I I heard some person who was moving and uh, grabbed his um, his trousers. He helped me get out and he put me on his shoulders. And he basically helped me um, hide throughout this time. And at the, at the, at some point he got tired. He said, "You know, I'm I'm tired of my life and um, I want to go find someone to kill me." And when he went um knocked on this person's door and said, "I was here. You can kill me. You can hide me if you prefer." The person said the genocide had actually stopped, and at this time the genocide had stopped. The Tutsis who uh, were fighting from neighboring countries they had overthrown the the, the genocidal regime, but people were hiding, uh, did not know. So uh, basically, that's um, a long uh, story short. That's
0: that's that's what happened. I'm I'm very sorry for uh, what you had to see the loss of family members, the the, the, the carnage of violence uh, uh, for people uh, who are coming in. Now uh, we are past to the time where we're going to be hearing about the descriptions of violence. Uh, as somebody who Teaches uh, at College of the Atlantic and teaches a course on genocide. Uh, the stories of genocide and literally of what happens in genocide uh, have far, far too many stories, like the one that you talked about, or um, Azur, what you talked about happening in Savonica. You are listening to Change Agents Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates. I'm Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today are Azar Imshirivic and uh, Felix Haginamana. Azur lives in Bosnia and works on human rights issues. Felix grew up in Rwanda and now as a lawyer in Portland representing immigrants. Both countries experienced genocide, Rwanda from April 7th to July 15th, 1994, and Bosnia in July 1995 in the city of Srebrenica. We now will begin discussing what happens after genocide. And perhaps uh, before we do that, because Azur talked about the um, uh, that there were international courts that uh, uh, declared that what happened in Srebrenica was uh, genocide. And am I correct that that also happened for uh, Rwanda?
2: Yes, it happened uh, for Rwanda. There was what was called the International Tribunal for Rwanda, which was the UN uh, Tribunal, uh, but Rwanda had also its model of, uh, of uh, transitional
0: justice. Yeah, I'll get there in a minute, but it's, it's, I think it's important uh, to know that, uh, that what the international response, uh, which came afterwards, so it wasn't stopping genocide, but those two courts uh, were really the first time after World War II, uh, when there was a uh, multinational effort to bring the, uh, the people who were responsible for the genocide to justice. Uh, so um, Azur, can, can you talk both about uh, after the war, what happened in Tuzla, but also what happened elsewhere, was, did things get back to normal, or are they back to normal now, 25 plus or minus years years apart? Well,
1: as far as Tuzla itself is concerned, things in Tuzla have pretty much gone back to normal. As I said, it has always been a model for a multicultural approach to peaceful coexistence of different ethnicities. However, people who returned to Srebrenica after the war faced enormous difficulties and obstacles in their lives. First of all,
0: they were denied the right to return.
1: Um, and okay, had- okay,
0: can I just ask him when you say people are these mostly, um, Muslims and Croats you're talking about, or Serbs as well?
1: Uh, when talking about Srebrenica, it's Bosniaks, Bosnian Muslims only. Okay. Uh, and I'm talking about Srebrenica now. Uh, people faced enormous difficulties when they tried to return. Eventually, uh, most of them who wanted to return managed. Uh, and then they faced uh, administrative Uh, difficulties in, you know, uh, rebuilding their homes, getting jobs, Uh, in all aspects of their social lives, they were told by the local Bosnian Serb-held authorities that they were not welcome. However, the returns process was, to some extent, uh, successful, but what remained is the denial of the genocide in Srebrenica by the Bosnian Serb leadership and by the Bosnian Serbs in Srebrenica. regardless of the party affiliation, regardless of what they think about each other, they still say that what happened in Srebrenica was maybe... uh, Grave crime, a serious crime, a horrendous crime. But they flatly refuse to say that it was genocide.
0: Uh, Are they also disputing the number of people who were killed?
1: Yes, many of them dispute the number of people who were killed. They say, oh, it's impossible that uh, 8,000 people plus were killed in 10 days. Those must have been soldiers or people who died before the the uh, occupation of Srebrenica by uh, Bosnian Serb forces. So they will use any tool to deny the genocide took place. They uh, don't study it at schools or at universities.
0: As oh, okay. genocide. It is one of the reasons why they were able to get away uh, denying the extent of the genocide was that Uh, the Bosnian Serbs, uh, after they uh, killed Bosnian Muslims, uh, ended up uh, pushing people with, um, uh, with heavy equipment into shallow graves so that there wasn't the easy ability to decide uh, what the numbers were?
1: Well, it is quite possible that this was the case. But uh, whatever the reason, whatever the uh, whatever you tell those people, whatever uh, court decisions you quote, they will say, "No, that was not genocide. Those are, were mass murder.
0: Are you talking um, even now, currently?
1: Yes, very much even now, and uh, now maybe even more than 15 years ago, because 15 years ago there was a uh, truth commission formed by the Bosnian Serb entity government, which uh, established that there was genocide in Srebrenica and that around 8,000 people were killed. And it basically acknowledged there was genocide. But ever since then, there have been consistent efforts to say that this report was uh, made under the pressure of the international community, that it was a fake report, that nothing of the sort happened. So now at this point, I think that genocide denial among Bosnian Serb leadership, among Bosnian Serbs as a polity, and in Serbia, as a state, this level of denial is even higher,
0: unfortunately. And, uh, Azur, just, uh, did you experience that yourself in Tuzla?
1: Well, uh, not in Tuzla, but if you travel to uh, Bosnian uh, majority places, if you talk to their politicians, even to their um, non-governmental uh, activists, they will all tell you at best well it was an unfortunate event but you know everybody killed everybody during that war uh and they would say uh well genocide it might be a strong word uh genocide is reserved only for mass crimes in the second world war that's <laughs> the kind of things that you hear from them
0: and uh- it's clear from the the Genocide Convention that there's that was adopted in in December of 1948 that uh, this wasn't about counting the number of people, uh, and 8,000 people was a is a huge number, and uh, and if the, if this the very late but at some point effective uh, intervention of NATO um, and uh, probably saved lots of other lives.
1: That, well. is very much, that is very much true. And these people try first to reduce the number of victims and after they think they managed to convince you that the, it was not 8,000 people, but fewer, they say, okay, if it wasn't 8,000, it was like 1,000, then Qatar have been genocide. Um, that is the
0: logic behind their reasoning. So, um, so in Tuzla, there are uh, Bosnian Serbs and, uh, and Bosnian Muslims who are getting along fairly well. Is that, are there other parts of of the country where there is uh, very frequent interaction between uh, the the three groups, or at least the, the two groups, Serbs and Muslims?
1: Well, yes, there are other places. I would single out Sarajevo as the capital. Uh, and also the Byczko district of Bosnia-Herzegovina, where the return process was the most successful in Bosnia-Herzegovina, the um, population in Byczko now is in, per- in percents the same as it was before the war. And uh, the Byczko district is functioning pretty well. And one of the reasons for that is that the district was a U.S. and still is a U.S.-run project.
0: So just thinking about in, in those communities where there are uh, the different groups that make up Bosnia are present, um, if you went into a local cafe, or uh, would, would there be mixing? Or would uh, Serbs be in their own cafe and, uh, and uh, Bosnian Muslims in? in theirs?
1: Well, uh, I would say that it's both. In some areas where the inter-ethnic relations are not as good, you would have uh, different coffee bars for different ethnic groups. But in big towns, such as Tuzla, Sarajevo, uh, even in the Republic Republika Srpska, the Bosnian Serb ruled entity, you can find people hanging around in the same coffee bars. But if you start a conversation about genocide by some chance in those coffee bars, you would see how divided people are. So as long as you avoid this topic or politics in general, it's fine. You can have your drink, you can even have fun with the local people, but Uh, there are no goal areas in the discussion or in the conversation that you have with those people.
0: And uh, I I think you've really answered this, but how much effort is the government putting in to try to uh, bring people together and for uh, Serbs to um, start... Uh, talking in the way that everybody who else in the world who's been examining what occurred. Uh, is is there an effort to to turn this around in schools? And...
1: No. Unfortunately, there is no such effort in uh, Republika Srpska, which is ruled by the Bosnian Serb political parties. Uh, on the contrary, there is a strong effort to reverse the course of history and to, as they say, dismantle the myth of the genocide.
0: And is there a worry uh, on your part and others that uh, tensions could increase and even turn to violence?
1: Well... uh, have already been increased. They will not, I'm sure, turn into violence, but they will will remain at such a level that it's impossible to say that uh, dealing with the past has taken place and that uh, normal life, uh, as we see it in other countries, is possible. So there will always be... uh, This tension, which could lead to individual acts of violence, not mass violence, but it will always be there. Somewhere in the air, there is still this tension that uh, rules people's lives,
0: unfortunately. Um, uh, Thank you. That uh, is a uh, disturbing, but perhaps not unfortunately surprising Set of barriers to to moving past the awful genocide, uh, Felix. Uh, you, you had mentioned that there were uh, there were uh, courts that adjudicated. So I'm I'm be interested if you can talk about that process, but also about uh, what's happened more recently.
2: Yeah, uh, sure. Um, you know, I, I think especially for Africa, uh, you know, the Clinton campaign had this slogan that says it's the uh, economy stupid. For most of Africa, it's really it's the politics stupid. And I think that was something um, that Rwanda at least got right uh, after the genocide. They, um, Genocide denial, it, it, it's also a big a big problem, even if, if until now, if it's on the rise, especially in the diaspora. But Rwanda got at least one thing right. They got the politics right when it came to how to deal with this, this crisis. Because what had happened, the world had basically abandoned Rwanda. Um, the UN came, they, the foreign countries came, they took their own people when people were being killed. and. Uh, After the genocide, the leadership of Rwanda, um, many of whom dealing with uh, trauma of losing their loved ones and and, and all that, they decided uh, as a country, we need to find a way to live together. We we have to find a way to share this country and be able to live next to each other without having the need to kill one another. So it was going to be a big problem for justice because... uh, by some estimates, over 100,000 people had participated in the genocide. And there was no way um, that they could try all these people with the formal judicial systems, which had been even crippled by the genocide. So the, the government said, you know, we are not going to, we, we have to come up with solutions, local solutions to this problem and they end up putting in place a system that they called uh, the which was a participatory process. People in the villages would come together. They would um, elect people that they thought were sort of integrity in this village, and uh, they would go through the people who, who lived in this area, the people who have died, and uh, the people who have killed them. At this time, so many people had, were, were in jail waiting trial. And basically, people in the village, in every village, they got together, they discussed what had happened, they put in place a system through which a person could plead guilty to help in this uh, process because they had almost killed all the witnesses. I mean, I know families, like the village where I lived, I know so many families who had 10, 8, 11 people, so many families like that where not, not a single person survived. And so it was even going to be difficult to find witnesses for the trial.
0: So uh, I, I think it's important that uh, uh, that we uh, indicate that the uh, that the murders from uh, Hutus to Tutsis was m- most often between neighbors, uh, and so
2: it was. It was. It was neighbors. I mean, my, my, grand, my own grandmother was killed by the person who was working for her in the, on the farm. And people were led to believe that if you kill your neighbors, what, whatever they owned, now it's going to be yours. And people out of ignorance, they, 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 they did that. So it was neighbors. Um, it was not some strangers who came from another village and, and, and
0: killed people. And were there a significant number of uh, Hutus sentenced to uh, terms in prison?
2: Uh, Yes, Uh, but so many people, they actually ended up confessing (laughs) to their crimes and pleading guilty and um, receiving very lenient sentences. Uh, Many people spent seven years in jail for (laughs) killing human beings. And then for another seven years, they did community work where they were Rehabilitated and and all that. So it, it was um, it was a modified system of justice.
0: So so looking at uh, th- that process from now uh, many years later, the our our Tutsis in in their communities, small communities as well as in cities, feeling comfortable and safe
2: uh, they I think they do I think they do every every once in a, in a while obviously you have people still have their
0: prejudice
2: prejudice you hear something happening somewhere but uh, most mostly people are safe and this is because what the government did they said we can't be uh, we are both we are all Rwandan. they started some programs they removed racial um, Ethnicities in uh, in formal government documents and all that kind of things, and really, unless you know a person, it's it's even hard to know if they are Hutu or Tutsi unless you've you've known them for a while or maybe you've talked with them. So uh, people are safe, and and this is something that I think the the government got right. Uh, they said you know, and, and and it's not just that; it's uh, it's also um, fighting corruption, uh, fighting crimes. It's um, it's 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 it, it, it's one of those things that the government got
0: right. Well, there are important things to to be right. I just wonder, and particularly in the rural areas, where the person who uh, killed somebody in your family, that you got, that at times you would uh, you know wake up in the middle of the night and say, "Am I safe?"
2: Uh, Absolutely. I I think people have have those concerns. And I think what helps is that people know that I cannot commit a crime and get away with it. But I also think that people did not just, uh, people are not born hating. You know, people will talk. um, There was so much propaganda. And uh, the reverse is happening. People are realizing we are all children of Gwanda. We all share this uh, country. that We speak the same language. There's really no need to, to kill each other, um, and I think that is working. Uh, that has changed uh, many people's attitude.
0: Um, uh, w- was there a very large exodus uh, from uh, Rwanda by Tutsis? I mean, you, you came to uh, to the U.S. and uh, and we're very glad you did, and...
2: Uh, there was not, there was not, because right now um, Tutsis in Rwanda mostly, I mean, some people will have
0: well, to
2: best countries looking for better opportunities. Uh, some people will maybe have some political problems that happen everywhere in the world, and people just um, move, but it's not in huge numbers. It's uh, it's an individual. It's on an individual basis.
0: Uh, and I guess one last question before I uh, we start uh, looking looking forward. Uh, my understanding is that while uh, there's been this effort to uh, reduce any focus on uh, different groups being. Different. Everybody's Rwandan, but uh, the government is still largely uh, being run by Tutsis. At this point, is that still correct?
1: I
2: think um, I think that is correct to some extent, uh, but I also think part of it is uh, the result of history, because Tutsis they did not have opportunities. They um, mm-hmm. went to their neighboring countries, went to schools. The people, the president is obviously Tutsi. Uh, the prime minister is Hutu. So they, they share opportunities. Uh, but I think it would be correct to, to 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 think that many Tutsis, just because of the history, the kind of history that, that we have, have opportunities there. And many Hutus who were educated, um, who had important jobs? Obviously, they had associated with the the old regime, and as a result, they they were forced to flee or not not participating in the political process. But if you go to colleges and universities, who to the majorities? There are majority people are graduating from um, colleges and universities. They are taking uh, all kinds of jobs. So I I don't think it would be correct to um, to say that Tutsis are yeah. running the country. It's uh, I think that people do share opportunities.
0: Well, that is good news. Um, Ezra, do you have, um, what's your hope for the near future, the near future meaning the next 10 years?
1: Well, my hope for the near future is that the authorities of the Bosnian Serb entity in Bosnia-Herzegovina and their intelligentsia, if you wish, start realizing that genocide denial is not a way forward. What they usually say is, or even if they don't say it openly, what they think is that if you recognize Srebrenica as genocide, that whole ethnic group will be stigmatized, and uh, branded as genocidal, which is absolutely not the case. So I hope they will realize that genocide denial serves no purpose whatsoever, that it only holds you back, that it only prevents you from dealing with your own past and from moving forward. But, However, these are my hopes. The way Things stand now, I'm afraid uh, in the near future we can expect the Bosnian Serb leadership to intensify its efforts on genocide denial and uh, prevent any sort of discussion as to what happened 25, 26 years ago and how we move forward. Their strategic aim anyway is to prove that Bosnia as a independent and viable state is impossible, and they will do for political reasons anything they can to prove it and to, uh, at some point, uh, secede from Bosnia.
0: Well, um, I wish there was a uh, a more bright future in that story, uh, where about out of time. I want to thank both of you for talking about such difficult issues um, and uh, and giving us a chance to explore uh, genocide that occurred at very, really close periods of time uh, and what the differences are. Uh, sadly, genocide has not ended. Uh, I could probably have a, a larger a larger list of genocide since uh, what happened in uh, Rwanda and Bosnia, but the violence and deaths of Rohingya Muslims in uh, Buddhist majority Myanmar. Uh, would simply be one. Uh, So there's much we still need to do. So thank you both so much. You are listening to Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates. I'm Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today uh, have been Azur Imshivic and Felix, Mana Manakazur lives in Bosnia and works on human rights issues. Uh, Felix grew up in Rwanda, but now is a lawyer in Portland representing immigrants. Both the countries experienced genocide, Rwanda from April 7th to July 15, 1994, and Bosnia in July 1995 in the city in Sabunica and elsewhere. Uh, we have been discussing the different differences between the two countries in what happened after genocide. Thank you both so very much.